Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Talking Learning and Teaching podcast. We have another National Teaching Fellowship special today. Uh, our guest today is Professor Alistair Blair, who's the Associate Pro Vice Chancellor Academic at De Montfort University. He's also my boss, so I can't really upset him. Uh, Alistair, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. So the first question I'm going to ask you, Alistair, is um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey to National Teaching Fellowship? I suppose if you had to go back all the way to my time at school, I'd probably been one of the least likely people who'd have gone to university in the first place. Um, that's what my teachers might have said uh, to me at the time, but I got there. Um, I went to Aberdeen University. Um, and in my year, uh, in my four years at Aberdeen, I then um, won a scholarship to go and study abroad in America um, for a year at a small college. Um, and it was really quite a profound experience, both, I think, studying abroad, but also studying in a different like, learning environment. And I you know, really appreciated the value of good teaching, which I had at Aberdeen. And then, of course, you come back and you finish your degree. And I came then to Leicester to a, a, a university to do a master's theorem for a PhD. Um, but I was always interested in teaching and, and I was interested in research and I, um, Initially went down, I suppose, the research track and got promoted quite early to a chair. Um, but I was part at that time at Coventry University at, in what they had called the Centre for Higher Education Development. And I was sort of doing some work with them, a lady called Liz Beattie, who was in charge of it. And I did the MA in Learning and Teaching Higher Education there. Um, and I was always kind of active, I suppose, in those internal discussions. Um, and so this opportunity came to apply uh, internally um, to be the candidate. I put the application, which was in 2005-06, and I was um, successful with, with that application. And I think the, the thing, I suppose, that was maybe important in the application um, was that I'd been involved in some pedagogy enhancement projects um, that were trying to, sort of, I suppose, shape up or shake up rather the politics curriculum at that time. So a number of sort of stars aligned, but if you were to go back, it was probably just, you know, a real sense of the value of good teaching. So so that segues quite nicely into the next question, actually, Alistair. So you talked about those pedagogic enhancement projects. I mean, did did you have a unique selling point that underneath that underpinned your application? So, you know, was there something that you were renowned for in your field that you feel really helped you to become a national teaching fellow? Or was it was it those pedagogic uh, developments that you'd mentioned there? I don't think I was renowned for anything, um, but I did have a desire and I still do now to sort of try and communicate to a wide an audience as possible. So, you know, the first sort of books that I wrote were, you know, some of them were textbooks and um, I, I was in about 2001, two, I think at those times it was the Learning Teaching Support Network. Um, so some money being uh, gone out through that and I got some of that money. Um, and then I got, which in 2004 was part of a project, a three-year project. It was a FK, a FTTL phase five project at that time, looking at placement le uh, learning and politics, uh, working with colleagues at Oxford, Brooks and Warwick. Um, and I suppose that the thing there was really working with colleagues in other universities and then trying to disseminate stuff. And those were sort of early days in terms of, say, a discipline like politics actually writing about learning and teaching. Um, and I'd have been probably one of 
you know, a handful of colleagues um, who are involved in that in a more active way. And we've sort of been spurred on, I suppose, by by some small seed corn funding available. Um, but for me, it was sort of trying to sort of make sometimes a rather dull politics or international relations curriculum alive by giving students practical experiences. Um, and that's something that I've tried to do ever since. So, I mean, has being a National Teaching Fellow helped you in your career, would you say? And, and if it has, how has it helped you? I'd say it's been really helpful in terms of, at that moment in time, you know, I suppose number of stars aligned. I, I, in 2006, I got chair and I got um, NTFS, so that was very good um, for me in terms of a nice year of achievement. Um, but I also then went on when we had the um, I attended the Higher Education Academy subject centres. I then became a director of the one uh, that dealt with politics, uh, sociology, anthropology. It was based at University of Birmingham called CSAP. So I suppose that was uh, an opportunity to step into a different you know, environment in terms of leadership, um, working with different colleagues. Um, you'll, I learned things through that, uh, you know, good things and bad things. Um, but it was really good for networking. And I think that if I hadn't had the NTFS, um, other things wouldn't have followed on from that, you know, some of those opportunities. And although the subject centres sort of came to their own demise and, um, you know, that's been a great regret, I think, um, having the NTFS has been not an accolade in the sense of saying, you know, I've never thought I was the greatest teacher or anything like that, um, because it's got a daft thing to say. Um, but it's been really good, I think, for meeting other people and learning what they do and listening to them and then trying to bring that practice back and also supporting others. So did your role within De Montfort University change through being a National Teaching Fellow? I mean, does the university call upon your expertise when it comes to learning and teaching? Or I mean, did, did they, you know, after you won the award? Um, well, I mean, I came to DMU in 2008, so I already had it at that time. Um, and at that time, it was actually, you know, I think it, at various stages, and of course it's interesting because I'm in a sort of a senior role within the university now, so you sort of see it from both sides of the coin. Um, you know, as a NTFS or a teacher fellow, people might be saying, well, what are we doing with ourselves or how, how is the institution working with us? And then equally, you might say that from the other point of view. I think being an NTFS um, is something that I champion at the university and I've taken an active role in trying to mentor colleagues to achieve that status. I think it's something that the university is proud of and should be proud, rightly proud of, because we have some of the highest uh, number of NTFSs over, um, you know, across uh, all UK universities. Um, of course, there's been some ups and downs with the way things have, have run at the university over the years. Um, but I think that having an NTFS is an excellent thing for the university, but also for those colleagues within it. Uh, you know, who get it. And it's a route sometimes increasingly for people's progression. Um, and that's important in terms of valuing uh, that. Now, in terms of my own role, have I been valued more or less because I've got it? I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily want to comment on that. But I think having had it, it's been helpful for getting other things. Um, so, you know, whether that be, you know, being part of getting an additional grant. So I got uh, when I came in 2009, I got a three-year project um, uh, looking at assessment feedback pr 
practices that was funded by Higher Education Academy at the time. Um, I've been involved in journal bids and been successful with that, you know, looking at, I suppose, teaching learning practice, again, from a discipline angle of politics. Um, and now I'm on the benchmark statement for politics group. So I think all of those things, uh, you know, if you look at some of my colleagues who are on that, they're also NTFS. Um, so I think it's sort of the the net part of the networking, but not for networking's sake, um, but just actually, um, you know, creating opportunities for further research, dissemination and engagement. I think everybody I've spoken to actually on this podcast that is a National Teaching Fellow have been in broad agreement that actually the, the networking opportunities and the doors it opens are one of the main benefits actually of, of a National Teaching Fellowship. So it's it's nice that that, that aligns in, in your case, Alistair. I mean, I want to turn our attention now to some of the more practical parts of becoming a National Teaching Fellow. So how many times did you actually apply before you were successful? Were you someone that was successful at the first attempt? Yeah, straight away, got it straight away, first attempt. Um, the, at, at that time, for the institution was at, I had to write, and it's roughly similar to what we've got actually at DMU, an initial statement of intent, you know, why would we select you as a nominee type thing? Um, and I put the bullet points down for that, you know, probably got it somewhere. Um, and um, that was, I found quite easy. The harder bit was actually writing it as a narrative. Um, and you know, I found the NTFS quite, you know, quite challenging, I suppose, to actually, because it also was a, it's about, just like maybe a principal fellowship application, uh, you have to be, in many ways, un-British and, uh, and be quite clear about your, what you've achieved, um, uh, but also try to document it and evidence it. But you have to be clear about your roles and things. So it did, did require a bit of a, and still does in many ways, uh, rethinking um, your approach to life and how you present yourself. So yeah, we, we often tend to be quite self-effacing, don't we? And, and I know what you mean about having to sort of sell yourself uh, in relation to that. I mean, was that the hardest part of the application process, kind of the way it needs to be written and the narrative, as you mentioned there? I think I found it, I didn't, I, I suppose you've got a limitation in words, which is difficult um, in the first place. You have to be kind of clear that this is a competition. Um, and you can only present yourself to the best of your ability. Um, in those days, it was you know, maybe less competition. You know, it's like the Olympics and how many countries there are exist. You know, if you get more countries, it becomes more competitive. So, you know, I've got to be conscious that you know maybe I got to, I get it at an easier time. Um, there might have been less people who might have gone forward at that time for it. Um, uh, and maybe learning teaching machine is less of a, a direct route for people to go through in that way. Um, but I think you have to kind of say to, you know, the, the markers, and I've done the market, you know, why am I excellent? Um, and make it quite clear to them why they should, why they should give it to you. So you can't really be uh, havering or wavering on the side points of, um, I might be okay at that. at that. You have to kind of demonstrate the evidence for it. Well, I mean, as they say, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you, Alistair. So I, I don't necessarily know if it was uh, any less valuable back then when, when you were a winner. Um, I think there's obviously great value whenever anybody wins. I know it's a very competitive process today, but I'm sure it was just as competitive back then. I mean, were you encouraged by anybody specifically to apply 
um, like a colleague or a line manager or, or the or the university more generally? Or was this just something that was a bit of an ambition of yours and you thought, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for this? Well, I wasn't really aware of it to begin with. You know, I came to Coventry in 2000. I'd previously worked at Loughborough and Nottingham Trent University. At that time, University of North London as well. So I'd been around a number of different universities. And then I had to do the PG Certain Learning and Teaching. Um, and I was, was I the truculent member of uh, staff going along to that? I don't know. But um, it, I felt in many ways, you know, why am I here type thing. And maybe many people might think that uh, as well. But I was the only one who probably stayed on to do the Masters, um, to be fair. Everyone else just stopped at the PG Cert and I carried, carried on. Liz Beatty was an excellent colleague um, at, at Coventry. And there were other people like Glynis Cousins um, who, who were excellent. Um, then Liz went off to Hefke and uh, we'd Land, who came to join. Um, so there were, I would say, a really good group of colleagues working in what I would think has been a creative space. Um, and I found that very attractive and inspiring. Um, and when, you know, the institutional kind of email came around saying, who wants to go for this? I just went for it. Um, and I think also at that time in my career, I was younger, I didn't think twice about going for things, whether it be a merit increment application or, you know, previously when I went for a readership. Um, I thought I'd just put my application in. Sometimes, you know, the youth is also helpful for that in just sort of thinking, right, I'll do it. So, but I was supported um, by colleagues within the university and also by senior colleagues at that time, you know, PVC Learning, learning Teaching, for example, Donald Pennington. Um, and, you know, he took time and care to sort of read my applications. Then, um, you know, a few years down the line, we also had Madeleine Atkins as VC. So, you know, there were some really good people at the university. And again, that segues quite nicely into the next question about support. So, I mean, how much support did the university give you as part of your application? Did, did you have did you have a mentor? I, I don't think I don't know if I did or not. I can't I can't recall. I think I just wrote it, um, and then didn't have much to. Donald Pennington signed off on the the at that you know that time as the PBC on the, on the sort of institutional statement. Um, I can't recall if I had it. I mean, we had drafts that we went through. Um, um, there was probably a mentor um, at the time, but I can't remember. I can't exactly recall. I mean, it's 16 years ago now. It's a long time. Um, but it, it was a very, I thought it was a very thorough kind of process. The hardest bit, as I said before, was getting the your ideas that you put down in sort of like bullet points into sort of a, a, a more coherent narrative. Um, I mean, I had sort of things, you know, going on, I suppose, in a number of different for formats. I got funding from the European Commission. I got at that time, it's called the Jean Money Chair. And, you know, I, I suppose I had domestic funding and was doing research and I was doing teaching and learning. So I, was, I suppose I was striking out on, on a number of fronts at that time. I mean, how long did you get to put the application together? Because obviously it's, it's quite a big application and there's quite a lot of reflection that's involved. And it's not really the kind of thing that people can kind of turn turn around in in one night or anything like that? I mean, how long did you have to actually put it together? I, I couldn't give you an exact timeline. I don't think I, I spent a huge amount of time on it. We're talking a couple of months or so, maybe two, three, two or three months. But no, it didn't go on for like six months or anything like that. I mean, the initial thing was to put your kind of statement of intent in. And then when I got told about that I was going forward, of course, it was great excitement. But you also feel an element of huge responsibility because there are other colleagues 
who also might have wanted to go forward. And I think that, um, you know, I was younger at the time and of course I'm older and you can see it from both sides. You know, I probably, there's people maybe looking at me at that time who might be at the university longer. I've been there for six years or so. They might say I've been there for 20 years. Why did I not go forward as a nominee? Um, I can only say is that the university chose me at that time. Um, and I was very grateful for it. But then you have, you, you have to give it as much effort as you possibly can because you've got a duty of respect to those colleagues who weren't successful in the internal application. And you know, you, if you don't um, give it your effort, then you're kind of taking away um, their opportunity. So I think that if you go forward, you, you, you need to take it seriously because it's not just you who's going forward, it's, it's the university who's going forward. And also, as I said, those colleagues who haven't had a chance and you know, they're also pinning your hope, their hopes on you to some extent. So yeah, I, I'm sure putting as much time as I thought was necessary, but um, I can't exactly recall the exact timeline. So had you not have been successful in a parallel universe, would you have applied again, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, without a doubt. Um, I mean, whether I would have gone the next year or not, I don't know. I suppose it would have been, probably would have been different at that time. I mean, at the time in 2006, I'd had, I'd had one more year left on a, a three-year research grant that began in 2004. I had some funding from the European Union. I was then seconded out to University of Birmingham for 40% of my time on to work for the Higher Education Academy project. Um, so I'd probably, you know, I would have certainly applied if the opportunity had come up again to apply you know, the following year, if I'd be unsuccessful. Um, if I thought then I had the time to, to devote to it. So I suppose, you know, in 2007, I might have had other things on my plate, you know, which certainly were um, maybe a bit more because I'd had that, you know, other job, seconded job at, at, at Birmingham. And, you know, two halves don't necessarily make a whole, often are greater than that. I would have definitely wanted to go again. Um, and it was also at that time there was some finance available for it, so it was very rewarding. I mean, it wasn't the fifty thousand pounds in the initial five years of it. I think I got I got ten thousand pounds, but you know that that money from two thousand six probably stretched on for me until two thousand eight. Um, you know, kind of because I didn't have to use it all all straight away, but it was really good for mobility um, and I'm going to you know just doing stuff. Um, and that, that was really helpful. It was also helpful just to learn how to use budgets. I mean, you mentioned being selected by the university. I mean, what was that process like? Was there sort of an internal round of applications that you had to go through? It, all it was was there was a, you know, please, are you interested in, if you're interested in applying for a NTFS, um, this is the form, um, you know, number of criteria and, um, you know, put your statement in about why you should be selected. And on the back of that, you know, a committee of what of some what made a decision. I got an email telling me that I'd been selected. And after that point it was, you know, then getting down to suppose more brass tacks of filling out filling out the form. Um all that this stuff was you know was new in many ways. You know, I'd never been involved or I hadn't been a mentor. I wasn't that closely aligned to the scheme. I was aware of the HEA at the time, you know, because of it was a route for funding um, and before that um, the LTSN network etc and there were also times I suppose when you know, we don't have the internet as we have it now in the discussion groups and that type of stuff there was still a lot of paper correspondence going through academic departments 
um, and people were just beginning to sort of um, get information off, off the internet. You know, we can go on obviously for a number of years before then, but uh, there wasn't the same sort of active chat as you get now on now on discussion forums or um, email lists, etc. Um, which can both be really helpful, but it also can also grind the day down a bit because you've got that much more correspondence. So you know, the number of hours we probably spend on emails today would be greater than my time, you know, 15 years ago. So um, there might, in some ways, ironically, have been more time to draw their work. I mean, you mentioned earlier sort of being a bit younger and having the kind of confidence to, to throw applications in and, and that type of thing. I mean, were, were you confident that you would win or, or did it come as a big surprise when, when you got notification that you'd won? It didn't. It didn't come as a, a massive surprise that I'd won. Um, and that sounds weird, or, or, you know. Um, no, no, it didn't come as a surprise that I'd won. Um, I was, I wasn't, sure, I didn't expect to win, but I was pleased to win. Um, I mean, the probably the big, a couple of big turning points, you know, before that, were certainly getting um, a big research grant, you know, sort of quarter million pounds, which in the social sciences is, you know, quite a lot. Um, a couple of years before, um, and then I remember getting a sort of similar size of money in my second year or end of my first year when I came to DMU. Um, and that felt really key defining moments, you know, getting a big big project to work on, more so in some ways than, than the NTFS. Um, the NTFS was, was a great thing, but actually the other stuff, I felt you know, in some ways, I suppose your career, or, but also the, the opportunities that it or those projects would give um, were greater, um, I, I would say. So, I mean, just to, to finish the conversation off then, Alistair, I mean, if you were going to give a prospective NTFS applicant uh, a piece of advice uh, in terms of making the application, what would it be? It'd be why should a university select you? Um, and just because you do your job well, I don't think that is enough to be an NTFS because um, we should expect that all our colleagues do things really well. Um, but what, what, what maybe makes you go the extra mile? Um, what do you do that's particularly special in terms of your teaching? Um, how do you, you know, give inspiration to your students? And how do you support your colleagues? Um, and thinking through those things, um, I think also gets you to reflect on your teaching practice. Um, I don't think you should do an NTFS for the sake of just having the badge or getting a certificate um, just because you've got, you know, or getting initials after your name. Um, it's been great as an achievement. Uh, it's not like some special club in London you, you get to be a member of or anything like that. Um, but there are benefits, you know, benefits just in terms of, I suppose, being part of the NTFS discussion group list. Um, there's less probably net, you know, formal networking and social kind of networking nowadays, partly because of COVID, but also partly because of budgetary restrictions. Um, but it does give you a sense of, I suppose, an esprit de corps, a community of practice, um, and also engagements with colleagues internationally. I, mean, I gave a seminar last year for the International Federation of National Teaching Fellowships, and, and that was a great thing to do. So um, I would say you know, don't, under, don't underestimate the value of what you've got, but equally don't overestimate it. Uh, and, and if you're not successful, brush yourself down and go again. Um, you know, for all the, I equally don't think it 
that you're a bad teacher if you're unsuccessful. Um, it's a competition and people will score it um, as you present your information. So you have to present your information in the best light. Don't leave it to the last minute. Um, um, and also be mindful that whoever uh, you know, is supporting you within the institution also has to write an institutional nominee and take time for feedback. Um, and remember that all feedback is constructive and helpful. Um, and, and reflect on it and, and go on with it. Well, that seems like a really good note upon which to draw the conversation to a close. Thanks ever so much, Alistair. It's really been fascinating to hear your insights into that. We'll, uh, we'll have to get you back on the show to talk in more depth about some of the other issues and bits of work that you've discussed in this podcast. So uh, I'll be in touch about that. Thanks ever so much. Thank you.